millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world Open the pot bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. Go ahead, make my day. Hello and welcome to Black Hole Cinema episode 36. I'm your host for this evening, Emma Platt. And joining me tonight is my joint favourite, joint first favourite, Chris. Oh, thank you. And uh, good evening, or morning, or whatever time you're listening to this. Just, just good day to everyone. <laughs> good day. Good day, sir. Also joining us tonight are Becca and Dave. Hello. Hello. Hi. And they are joining us from Do You Expect Us to Talk, a Bond-centric podcast, which I have to say I have listened to and I really enjoyed. So. All right. Well, which which um which one have you listened to? Have you listened to? I listened to the very first one because I have to admit I'm not the biggest Bond fan before Daniel Craig, but I like the way it's kind of it's a little bit of. I view it as a bit of like history, like you're talking me through the history of the films. So I find it really interesting. Yeah, I I, I kind of see it as a like a way for Bond fans to to kind of go through it, and for non-Bond fans, it's more of like, well, it's it's like a guide, so you can you can it's like in a sense to watch the film from the beginning and and work your way up, you know. So I, I look at it more that way. You don't need to have seen the films. It helps if you have. Well, well, so, well we go through them anyway. Yeah, but we go we go through them anyway. And um, as you'll, you know, if if you do listen on with it, Emma, we're, we're getting to certainly within the last couple of episodes a lot of sort of drama outside of the films themselves. So it's really interesting. Yeah, when you were talking about um, the whole like the other Casino Royale yeah. film and like the big gaps, that's what I'm looking forward to because I quite like kind of just film history in general I like the way you're taking it like such a huge franchise and you're breaking it down and telling all like the backs you know the backstories and what was happening with the actors that's what I found I mean I think key, I think the key episode for sort of newcomers apart from the intro if uh, of the ones we've got record we've recorded through Majesty's so far on a Majesty's Secret Service which is the sixth film in the series we've recorded through there it's not released yet the first five films are released and I would say of those, number four, Thunderball, is probably the key episode to get a flavour of, of what the show does outside of just talking about the films themselves. Because we talk about a lot of things that have a, a knock-on effect to later on. So, if, even if you're not a Bond fan, definitely check it out. I do recommend it. I really, really enjoy it. We also it. do dick and fart jokes as well, so, you know. So, what have we got for you tonight? Well, first, as always, we're going to do movie news... You're supposed to join you when I do that, Chris, otherwise I just sounded silly. Well, yeah, okay, well, I'll, 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 I thought I was doing it when you'd get to it. Oh, we're we'll getting to it now. Oh. No, no. I think she meant the jingle, Chris, not, like, sing along to her giving you the news. Then we're going to be re- reviewing Bill and Solace, which will be followed by the UK and US Top Ten. Then we will be getting into my first emotional trauma of the week, which was Miss You Already, followed by Dead Meat, which is going to cover my second emotional trauma of the week. It's been a bit of a horrific week. In terms of movies for me. So, start with movie news. Movie news, movie news. <laughs> there we go. Alright, I'm going to start today with news coming from Sir Ridley Scott that the next Prometheus film will be titled Alien Paradise Lost. It will be a sequel to Prometheus, 
and it's going to try and bridge some of the gaps in the story and while it's not going to completely tie in with Alien yet there are going to be connections to Ripley so what did everyone think of the first Prometheus well Prometheus if you've seen her right I'm one of the defenders of Prometheus even though I know it has flaws but I still really like it anyway so I'm kind of pleased but I, I know there's a lot of hate for it so uh, I'll just leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. So it was kind of, for me, it just kind of like bridged the gap. But um, yeah, I, I won't, I won't spit any vitriol on it. So it's a very handsome film to look at. I think that's what kind of I like about it. Yeah, the, the effects are amazing. I saw it in 3D and 2D, and it was just so beautiful. I don't know. I think I went into it expecting something that it wasn't. I think it had been kind of been played up to be something that it didn't turn out to be. So I had different expectations of what it was. I just thought it was modern-day Ridley Scott writ large, really. I mean, I'd even sort of include Gladiator in this, but Gladiator was the last sort of, you know, the last one where I really thought he was on form. I, I just think what Ridley Scott now is is the best director of photography we have. He's, he's, he's no longer really a film director. He makes these beautiful-looking films, and that's about it. And Prometheus fell into that. I remember him saying on, I think, Kermode at the time that there would be three sequels to it to bridge it to Alien. And I don't know whether I've got the energy for that. I think a lot of whether I a lot of whether I engage with it will depend upon the Martian. Has this guy got anything left? I agree. I'm actually really looking forward to the Martian, but I haven't been so excited about Ridley Scott's last couple of films. So. I mean what was what was his last really pretty good film, American Gangster? I really enjoyed that one. That was quite a good film. But I'm also looking forward yeah, to the that's eight years ago. Just finished reading the book, though. American Gangster was 2007. I'm one of the few people who quite liked the year, as well. But, I mean, his hit rate is getting ever weaker, obviously. He's responsible for two or three classics. And every couple of years, he's turning out beautiful bores. <laughs> and the thing about Prometheus that bothered me is every character in it was as thick as pig shit. And, yeah. uh, and that's not what I mean. Aliens are a little bit of that, I suppose. But like, no, I mean that—that's not what Alien was. Maybe that's part of the problem of it as well. Alien is such a big film, like within the sci-fi genre, it had so much Prometheus. You know, had so much expectation heaped upon it, and for some, it just fell short. So, right. Well, on that note, um, yeah. <laughs> let's let's review some movies. Um, so first up is we're going to review Bill. Classic. Shakespeare. Bill Shakespeare. I've written a great work for the stage. Oh my god. London is not gonna know what hit it! You've been before? No, first time. Ooh, it's nice. Don't steal anything. Not fundable. Not oh. fundable. <laughs> yeah, this was the first time we actually review a non-Bond film. <laughs> well, I, I have to say they were all crap James Bonds. <laughs> did did not did not do the gumball sequence at all. No, no nipples in the opening credits. <laughs> <clears throat> Just rubbish. No, no one once even said Bond James Bond. It was crap. No, disgraceful. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. No. Not one of them was wearing an Omega watch. <laughs> no stars. No stars. Okay, so Chris and Dave, you both saw this, didn't you? Yeah. I had no knowledge of who these people were. And I thought nothing more of it than I'd heard it was good. It had a high Rotten Tomatoes score. Went in and took a look at it yesterday in a double bill with Solids, which is a, an odd double bill, as we'll get to. And the first thing that struck me, not having read any v- reviews for this, so I can imagine I'm going to say some things now that will sound like I'm ripping off reviews, but I haven't read any. I'd be very surprised if anyone hasn't noticed how Monty Python this film is. It's it. I, the first thing that made me think these guys are, must be well known is they're all playing multiple roles. It's a period set, alternate sort of history of William Shakespeare's rise to fame, with about half a dozen people playing the majority of the roles. So I, I had to look them up, and they turned out to be from BBC's Horrible Histories. But yeah, it does play like a slightly more junior version of a. It plays like yeah. a slightly more aimed at a younger audience version of a Monty Python film, but with some really awkward sex jokes in there just to confuse us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I do like Horrible Histories. I think it's one of those uh, children's programs that is 
great because adults can enjoy them too. I think this is this is kind of where it is. It, it's it's very like soft around the edges, uh, fun humor for all the family. So like pretty much it's like kids will enjoy the silliness of like uh, yeah. a man dressed as a vegetable having a fight with a a, a man dressed as a sausage. You know that that kind of like silly sort of like alternate um, history history kind of humor. But at the same time, there's there is like a general funniness to it. Did you notice the veg campaign, Chris? Have you had your two a week? <laughs> That's what it said on the board behind him. Are you getting your two a week? <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I really, really liked it. I thought they were a really, really talented cast. I've not seen them in anything else. The only thing that hurt them is you can tell they haven't had to do like 100 minutes before. I thought it had sort of worn out its welcome a bit by the end. Yeah. But yeah, everyone was really great in it. It was really funny. It had a sort of anarchic... You could almost do this on the stage with them sort of running off stage and changing really quickly and it had a feeling of almost farce about it. And it also, in line with sort of Monty Python films, although it had an overarching story, it was a loosely connected series of sketches, really. It, very, very different in tone and audience, but a couple of times I got almost like a League of Gentlemen vibe off it. Yeah, it's kind of like a League of Gentlemen, but without the, the weird dark... It's not got horror overtones in it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I I really really enjoyed it. I think it's a good um, good romping comedy. I really enjoyed like a like another cameo from um, uh, Damien Lewis. Did you notice who was playing um, Elizabeth first? Oh, I looked it up, but I, I, uh, who was it? It's his real life wife, Helen McCrory, who was in Skyfall. She was. Um, we had to come back to Bond, didn't we, Chris? You're about yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, it was uh, yeah. So it, it was Damien Lewis and his real life wife were in it. Yeah, and I I just loved how they kept like because his his character basically like plays like this like kind of swashbuckling type hero mm. <laughs> kind of kind of thing, and it, it worked really well. And he gets locked up, and it's you convinced he's going to be the leading man if you've not seen any of the on. Yeah. Before. And, 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 and his character basically lo- lo- that gets locked up and kind of like drives like the, the plot forward, and then it's like. The film like forget completely, almost like forgets that he's there, and you just have like little sort of brief shots of him, like the whole point of the film is hello. Yeah, uh, the whole point of the film is releasing him, and at the end when he gets mentioned, it's like, oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that was almost like Muppets humor. Yeah, yeah, really good, really, um, really solid stuff. I mean, I would, I you know, if if we get sort of uh, an alternative sort of franchise that he's a bit like you did with Monty Python films I'd be happy enough definitely it's, it's definitely worth watch I mean I don't, I'm not sure how it's not like it's not true at all really I mean I think the whole history has a ring of truth about him and they always make like a, like a cartoony version of what really happened and educating kids so I think this one completely just goes way overboard with like fantasy kind of thing so well it's like, got a forced ghost in it well <laughs> I don't reckon that happened, Chris. Yeah, I, I, well, yeah, that all like uh, Shakespeare actually helped uncover like a, a plot from Spain to, to kill the queen. Yeah, really good stuff. And I think one of the one of the big compliments you can pay it to is, I think it's one of those few films that's for everybody. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I think some most audiences, a bit like Peak Simpsons, would find something to enjoy in that. Yeah, I think that's one of the good things about it. That's what's the main thing, Excellent. good thing about it. Excellent, nice and concise, well done. No rambling. See what happens when there's other people on with us, Chris. Stay on point. <laughs> you, you haven't heard many of our episodes, have you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> we do Usually not stay on when, point. No, no, we, we don't. Me quite often. And Chris run together. Usually with the other Chris. Uh, well, we, in in which episode was it? It was our Thunderball. Right, Thunderball is a 1965 film, and we did a full breakdown of a completely irrelevant and unconnected scene from a 1981 Bond film. Right at the end, <laughs> it was majorly well, off topic. Like, like, majorly off topic. Well, there, there, there was like an hour where we were like, let's just pull about Thunderball, and then literally went like, oh, we we'll just talk about all different Bonds, like <laughs> so. Straight off topic. We do I'm, not stay yeah. on topic at all. No, no, to be fair, we didn't. I haven't slagged off Woody Allen yet at all in the podcast. So, no, sorry, we haven't done what? Slagged off Woody Allen yet in the podcast? Yeah, we had like a half an hour discussion about how we all hate Woody Allen, and he got it down to like oh, two sentences. Oh, I love Did he edit it? Oh. I quite like his films. It was. It, it definitely wasn't like the full 
full on rant that we all had about how much we fucking hate Woody Allen. But yeah. <laughs> um, you have to keep pushing it, Emma, just to make sure that it gets in. <laughs> <laughs> the next film up for review. I think it was the last it's one solid. we did as well, wasn't it? Holy mother of God. Yeah, it's Joe. We got a series. I need to go see him. I think it's a big mistake. With all due respect, I don't hold an ounce of confidence in the paranormal as a field. No, no problem at all. I feel the same about shrinks. You two are going to make a hell of a team. Can I touch her? John, what do you see? I'm not sure. Joe, take a look at this. 416, Bible verse. That's the time. 416 precisely. He knew that we would arrive at the apartment at exactly 416 because he knows everything. And Chris, you, you saw first. that as well, didn't you? Chris, you go first this time. Okay. I really enjoyed Solace. I, I didn't love it, but there was like a lot of it that I, w- I wanted to really like this film. I think the main problems about it was that it, it felt like a TV pilot, a cinematic TV pilot for a series with with potential. That's probably the best way I can sum up Solace. It's basically about uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins, who's, who basically plays like like a is he a psychiatrist kind of doctor kind of dude? He's a doctor, but he's also a psychic. He kind of has premonitions about what can happen and 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 what ha- and what happens. So there's like a like an unexplained um, su- supernatural. Uh, element going on in the film and he's basically recruited by uh, FBI agents Def- Jeffrey Dean uh, Morgan and uh, Abby Cornish that, that one yeah and Abby Cornish and they're trying to find this uh, killer play by Colin Fowle who who as it turns out has the same ability as Anthony Hopkins has so it it kind of yeah, plays like the Anakin Skywalker of the gift <laughs> I, I don't know. I didn't think I played like either really, but it just felt like it. it, it he's, kinda... he's wildly more. He's got wildly more gifted at it. Yeah, but it, it kind of plays a lot with showing you something, and then like it, it, it kind of reverts back to like, oh no, that was a vision, and then that like, it plays out. Then the scene plays out differently because he's seen what what happens. And it plays a lot with that kind of element of like there's a lot of interesting uh, stuff going on where. Colin Fowler meets Andy Hopkins and he and he knows he's safe because he's seen every other possible outcome if he if he if he reveals him and it's like and each one is bad so it's it it's lots of little plot developments that kind of like it gets away with like that but um, yeah but I I, I kind of liked it even though it did feel like the last it it felt like a film with two parts really it felt like it it started off really well then it kind of felt like it film just went went okay and here's Colin Fowler. And now the film is all about Colin Fowl. It, it, you know, I, I felt it worked better at the start in the first half myself. What do you reckon, um, Dave? I actually got, um, not in terms of quality, but it just occurred to me halfway through this, watching this sort of slightly washed out digital quality it had to it, it, it was like it was like a Michael Mann film if Michael Mann had far less talent. Um, <laughs> and in fact, the, the, the scene where they meet across the table is like heat. But it was just, I mean, I, I, I chose this one. I mean, I, you know, it was, we were going to watch some of the films that were released this week. I chose Solace, hoping for a train wreck, because it had a no-name director, no-name writers, Anthony Hopkins, who hasn't made an effort since, like, what, Remains of the Day? Abby Cornish, who cannot pick a script to save her life. Colin Farrell, who's got exactly the same problem. So you just think, with that perfect storm of shite... This is going to be, like, really bad. And then I turn up, and the first time you see Anthony Hopkins, I don't know what wig they've put on, but he's got a bit of a party going on in the back there. He does like someone who desperately needs a haircut. It's just a bad wig. He's 78 as well, and he, he's too old for this role. Yeah. Because he's got a relatively young daughter to have died. That's a bit of his backstory. 
And also near the end, they they get him doing like an action scene where he's got to run somewhere <laughs> and he can't run. Uh, yeah, no, that, 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 that was another um, thing. It's like it just it, it, it kind of it wasn't. It's, it's really a bad point, but I did kind of enjoy seeing like an old overweight Antiochus just running about the place in the rain, yeah. kind of like trying to trying to catch if, Kong if Foul. To, it just felt like if you had to, yeah, because there's there's a perfect match. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Farrell is about thirty eight. You know? yeah. <laughs> I really thought, I mean, when it started, I thought, my God, we've now got to the point where Anthony Hopkins is picking roles for his lack of effort because the role requires somebody rather detached and a bit monotone to start with. And so for the first half of this film, he's doing nothing. He's really doing nothing with this role. Um, And there's a bit later in the film where they go to see the parents of a child who was killed by Colin Farrell at the age of about 12 and Sharon Lawrence plays plays the mother. She was um, Sipowitz's wife in NYPD Blue years ago. And she just immediately blows this... Os- she doesn't blow this Oscar winner. That's not what I'm trying to imply. But she has- <laughs> her performance blows him off the screen. And she I don't know if she blew him at all, actually. He was a producer on the film. But it's possible. And she hasn't been in much for a few years. You know. And uh, Sipowitz was a bit of a drunk. So he's probably, like, tasted a whiskey and shit. But, like... Um, <laughs> So you probably wanted some nice clean Welsh jizz. <laughs> Where was I going with this? <laughs> From the <laughs> Valley Springs. Anyway, the gist is that, you know, a halfway decent TV actor absolutely blew Anthony Hopkins off the screen about halfway through this film. Um, Colin Farrell is wildly underused in it. If it had been a seven-style, like, reveal where you didn't know who he was for a while, then fair enough. But we're seeing his face all the way through this. Mm. Um, Abby Cornish gives a typical Abby Cornish um, I like doing this. performance. She's absolutely fine, but it's a bit one note. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is, is the star of the film, really, for about two-thirds of it at least. I don't know why he's not a bigger star than he is. But the film is very... It's, it's mediocre as far as I'm concerned. And I was really hoping for embarrassing shit. I think I, I think I enjoyed the concept more than anything. I just liked the concept, and uh, I, I liked seeing Antiochians do nothing. I mean, I, I, do, I do agree with you. <laughs> I, do, I do the thing about Antiochians, you get him just because he's Anthony Hopkins, and it's well, he was a producer on it as well. To be fair, yeah, he, he just kind of he, he just kind of shows up as oh, I'm Anthony Hopkins. I'm gonna do Hannibal Lecter and, and sound mildly intelligent and give a crazy eye or two every now and then, and he doesn't really do any more than that anymore. So, but he, he, there is like a you feel safe with Anthony Hopkins in the film, but but I do agree that he doesn't really do anything. You needed days. you needed someone aged sixty in this role, not someone yeah. aged. 80. I, I do think it would have been better if someone else had been it, especially if you're going to mm. play him face off with Colin Fowle. Who uh, I do agree. It, I mean, I think I can see Colin Fowle going for this. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm not played like a, a like a, a psychic serial killer before. This sounds interesting, so I can kind of see why he went to it, went for it. Because it's not something he yeah. regularly does, so it was nice to see him do that. But I, you know, it, it didn't really come out in the in in the film. But I, mm. I think overall, I think I felt like the same. But I just felt like it was a, it should have been like a a TV show, like a like 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 a female FBI agent team, teams up with a psychic doctor and go off to solve cases and kind of like a. Like that a, sounds well, like the eightieth TV and the most eighties TV show ever. I know, and it sounds brilliant. It would be followed by an episode of Sledgehammer, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I I thought it was okay. That I think the the biggest thing that damns this film is it doesn't even have an American release date yet. I, I don't think it's even going to get into theaters over there. I don't think it even but got like reviewed. It's a di- it's a direct to DVD. If you go onto Rotten Tomatoes now, it's it's had about six reviews total. Um, this this film has sunk without trace. It's not that easy to market, though. To be fair, no. But I enjoyed it for what it's worth. Chris liked it more than I did. Yeah. Chris seems to like everything tonight. Well, I like Consumer Solace. I like Prometheus. God, Chris. He doesn't well, like. Oh, I don't know. He likes all the duff ones. <laughs> oh, he I doesn't like, like Die Another Day. We'll be doing a commentary on that in a few weeks. Hey, I wonder. I wonder who I'll be implying jizzes or Ulo for that one. That like seems to, to be a thing. Oh, sorry. We've never ever mentioned jizz on this. We've never mentioned jizz on this podcast. That's the first time for everything. It's been three times already. Uh, it's Becca. She fails to control us. <laughs> I'm too busy laughing. My sides are aching. Oh dear. 
Right, let's do some numbers. Um, so, the UK weekend box office for last weekend. Number 10, Bill, at 221,000. Number 9 is the Battle of Britain at 75, the concert. Whatever. Yeah. It's uh, not, I, I, it's like, it, it annoys when they put that in. It's like, well, it's not, it's not a film. Whatever. We've had the anniversary, yeah. you know, a special event, so... Yeah, but I mean, they don't count ads for Everest windows or something at the start of films. You can't, don't have to count everything. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Number eight is A Walk in the Woods. Number seven, again, The Empire Strikes Back. Secret yeah. How many, every time I've done the box office report since, like, May, that's been on there. It's amazing. Has any of you guys, did you go to the um, Secret Cinema Star Wars? No. No. It's amazing. I, I went really, really early on. Superb. It's a highlight, the cultural highlight of, of the year. So what was the special hook on this secret cinema then? Did you sort of like get off with the sibling? <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, they try and theme it around the film in question, don't they? So like, you know, Back to the Future, I'm imagining you go to sort of a small town Americana type place to watch the film. Well, I guess I think I'm just wondering if with The Empire Strikes Back, you all get up a bit of incest. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I think today's the last day of it, so I'll just say very quickly. Um, they just created, recreated like, like Tatooine and basically, and also the Death Star, and it was just really atmospheric, with really wonderful character actors um, you could interact with, and it's just a brilliant experience. And that's what I'm saying. But if you want to go, it's too late now. So yeah, this is the last day of it today, I think. So you missed out. But um, I, I've known people who went to the last couple of ones, and the Back to the Future one was meant to be amazing. I've seen photos and videos of it. It looked fantastic. Uh, Star Wars was probably the biggest and best one they've done yet. So. Yeah, wouldn't it be better if they actually did Star Wars, not Empire Strikes Back, though? <laughs> Number six, Straight Outta Compton. Um, it's taken... Oh, I can't even see. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Quite a lot of money. Seven million. It's all uh, about the Benjamins. A lot, yeah, this is it. All about the Greens. <laughs> Number five is Inside Out, which currently has 37 million. That surprises me it's not more. Yeah. Number four is The Visit, which... Taken nearly two million, which is not bad for, you know, a director who everyone's pretty much written off. It's yeah, it's a it's a semi. Oh, it's a, sh- oh, it's a Shyamalan. Film. Yeah, it's a semi return to form for M Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Did it give you a semi, Chris? <laughs> no. Don't think it did. If you want, to watch, if you want to listen to that episode? He loudly announces he's got a semi at the start of that one. <laughs> Number three, the Maze on a Scorch Trials, over five million. I've and... seen that, by the way, because I saw the first one. I haven't no. seen this one. Uh, no. Yeah, I, I, I saw this one. It is very like a teen lit, but it does have a lot of zombie esque fight sequences in it. I mean, it does have it does have some good sequences and it has some like quite jumpy scares, but it 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 does at the end it kind of like just kind of rushes and it just feels like oh okay and now on to part and on to part three and it just like okay so you have to wait for the third one then. Number two, Legend, which has taken almost 10 million, which I'm not surprised at, at all, to be honest. And uh, number one for last week was Everest, which took 3 million. I don't want to see Everest. I, no, I don't oh, want to see it because the trailer scared me. Yeah. Scared, what scared you about that? Ooh, thin air. No, it's just like this just sense of like not being in control of what's going on and I thought oh you stupid bastards climbing up a mountain what do you think's going to happen but then I was like oh no like oh I just things like that freak me out it, like, fair, it, it did maybe not whatever wants to climb Everest which uh, it's something I didn't necessarily want to do in the first place but now it's definitely not what's you're really not going to do it <laughs> yeah. everybody does in the morning right when I walk to work and leave here I've got to go down a hill opposite and walk up the other side don't think it's quite I'm going to go to bed tonight <laughs> worrying about that. So no, it's a bit different. Everest. I, th- I yeah. think you're right to be prepared, though. You never know. Constant what, you mean we should be carrying around mountain equipment just in case? I'm just saying. <laughs> you never know. Yes, you do. That's not no, just going to hit us by accident, is it? Do you know what? If you go out tomorrow and a giant mountain sprung up, don't be thinking, I should have been prepared. Because I did <laughs> Constant vigilance. <laughs> Right, US box office chart number ten. Sicaro, Sicaro. That looks amazing. Scenario. Sicaro, yeah, that looks. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's, 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 that's released that... at about ten days' time here. Very oh, is that the Emily that. Blunt film? Yes. Yeah, 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 that's meant to be really good. Very excited uh, for that one. Yeah. It's taken almost two and a half million in two weeks of release. Oh, wow. So it's a flop then. 
<laughs> if this is the US box office, that's a flop. Yeah. Number nine is Eli Roth's The Green Inferno, which oh. has got a 2013 date on it, so you can see how long that's been waiting for a release. From, uh, from what yeah. I heard, it's pretty average. Oh, it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty standard. Uh, Eli I'm absolutely Roth, uh... stunned. His name is such a mark of quality normally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and, it, and it does feel like, yeah, but there's already Campbell Holocaust, so why are you kind of doing it again? Because he's trying to be edgy and cool and just, look what I can do. I can be scary and gross and horrible. Number eight is War Room, which is taken 56. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's million so far in five weeks of release. The Perfect Guy is number seven, which has taken 48.9 million. The Visit at number six with 52 million. Black Mass at number five with 42 million. I'm looking forward to that. I have totally gone off. Mr. Depp. Yeah. Totally gone off him. Like, I just, I feel like he needs some sort of, like, career resurgence now. He needs to do something different. I'm yeah. Sort of well, ho- ho- just... Hopefully this is, because it's quite an interesting character to, to do, really. But um, he recently yeah. has kind of been like, I'm Johnny Depp. Oh, I'm in a Tibetan film. Well, I'll just do a funny voice. I'll, I'll, I'll just talk in an English accent. Yeah. Oh. And it's like, okay, where's your performance? You're not even trying anymore, Johnny. You know, it's, but, uh, yeah, oh, hopefully this will turn it around. Hopefully. Hopefully. Number four is Everest. 23 million in two weeks of release. Major on a score trials at number three with 51 million. The Intern, which is the Robert De Niro and Hathaway comedy, dramedy, whatever you want to call it. 18. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's Robert De Niro post about age 40, so it'll be shite. <laughs> oh. The trailer actually looks all right, but, you know, I could be wrong. <laughs> Yeah, but he's he's been his usual self in interviews, hasn't he? Stormed out of interviews the other oh, day. He? He's, he's just in a really defensive mood promoting it. I think he knows he has a turkey there. Mm. Um, and number one was Hotel Transylvania 2 with 47.5 million in its first week of release. Mm. So that's Sandler like... does it again. God damn it, Sandler. <laughs> so that is the box office numbers. And now we are going to move on to Miss You Already. The chemo took forever. My job, Millie said, was to turn up with treats and try not to be annoying. So, Jess, you're in charge of these. Recycled vomit bowls. Well, I won't need those because I took my meds. I might need one after seeing that enormous needle go into your veins. Do you want one of my pills? Yeah. Girls, we're not at Glastonbury. You can't just swap pills. Oh, you spoil sport. Yeah, well, look, anti-nausea tablets work for 80% of patients. But just in case Millie's in the special 20s. Hey! Technical equipment. Thank you. Good. Banana. Thank you, Sam. Ooh, nice hat. So, Miss You Already stars Tony Collette and Drew Barrymore. And it's a story of two best friends, Millie and Jess. Millie discovers she has breast cancer and Jess is trying for a baby through IVF. I really didn't want to go see this one because I thought this is just going to be soppy crap. Because it's on Direct of Twilight. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, it's just not the type of thing I would ever watch, really. And I'm not ashamed to admit, I cried like a bitch for the last hour of this film. Like, really, really, really cried. I took my mum, and my mum started crying from like 20 minutes in. 
it has got a fantastic cast. I think I really like Drew Barrymore and Tony Collette anyway. And I think without their performances, it could have been, you know, just middle of the road kind of chick flick thing. But it felt very honest to me in the way that especially Tony Collette was there's a scene where Jess says she's a cancer bully and she kind of is using her mm. like cancer to get what she wants out of people but at the same time she was still very much like I want to be a person and I want to be loved by my husband and I want to be touched and looked at and I want to fuck the guy from uh, All Mother Rejects <laughs> yeah that too um, and I thought it was very it was kind of sympathetic without being overly, like, cliche, like when you see the mastectomy scars on her. Mm. I thought that was done in an almost respectful way, but at the same time... It's in your face, though. I mean, I I, I don't think this film... I mean, for me, this film is... I don't think there's much of a story in it. It's literally just, like, a woman's journey through cancer. And it's like, and we're going to show you pretty much this is what's going to happen. I don't know. I kind of just felt it was a little bit different from yeah. maybe because it felt like quite raw in places oh definitely I, I think what sells it is Tony Collette um and she's brilliant and I love her in, in like the United States of Tara mm. I think she's excellent an excellent actress and I really like Drew Barrymore too I like the fact it wasn't just like you kind of saw how it was affecting her husband as well mm. Dominic Cooper so it kind of felt like it was almost everyone's story yeah there is like it, do, it does kind of the, the film kind of shifts focus from the from the, the from the girls to like the the relative partners like uh i mean i like paddy constantine and anything you know so yeah he, he makes any film better you know as far as i was saying but he, he was pretty much like sticking around going like oh i just want to be a dad yeah and do that and yeah so and yeah and don cooper is is good at it, in it as well but it just felt like very much like a formulaic film in that sense the only thing special about it is the performance from tony collette and the the way it treats like how, how it just unflinching and the, the way it treats the the cancer itself i mm. thought um yeah i mean i, I do <clears throat> i do agree with you it is you kind of you know what's going to happen again, yeah you know what i mean well, i mean it's in the I titles really yeah i don't know it was just there was something about it that got under my skin and I think the scene for me that really set me off crying is when she's telling her daughter that she was dying. Mm. That really that's when I started like welling up. And it, it is it has got to do with the fact that I've got a young child and you know, it sounds daft, but I was thinking about him and, you know, that kind of situation. But that that, that one scene where she's trying to explain to her young child that she's not gonna be there, that really got me. And once I'd started, I couldn't stop crying then. I was just, I was so ashamed. I was like wiping my eyes on the sleeve of my jumper <laughs> and like going to be, don't look at me, don't look at me. That, that I, is I, not, uh, it's funny because while you've been talking about it, because I, I haven't seen it, but I just sort of looked at its wiki page and I was really surprised to see it's written by Morwenna Banks. Yeah, really? I, I, I would not, yeah, it, you, you've just described not what I would expect Morwenna Banks <laughs> to write. Well, I think it's meant to be like a, a, a personal story for her because I'm not, I'm not sure whether she's known someone who's been through cancer or she's beating cancer I don't herself. Think she has, but whether yeah, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Um but uh but apparently it's a personal story. I think I think it kind of comes through because of how honest and straight to it it is, but um there isn't much of a story though. Um that's that that's my only major gripe of it and it does feel very uh emotionally manipulative as well. It feels like very you know, it's it's quite an easy thing to get teary over because it's Yeah. But then again, it has good performances that hold that up. So yeah, exactly. I think if you know it being other actresses, it could have really you know fallen below. I think it's quite it's quite an average for what it is. Mm. But without those performances, it could have fallen well below. And I know what you mean about it being emotionally manipulative, especially when Jess goes into labour and you know Millie's like, I have to be there, and like that was kind of like life is beginning but life is ending you know and it was kind of cliched in that, that way but it's it still there was just something about them and I, I do think it, it was Tony. it wasn't so much drew barrymore's performance even though i think she was good in it it was tony collette that really like you said she, she was like it just felt really honest and raw and kind of no hold yeah. hard i mean it, it wasn't she like, had more to do than she, drew barrymore drew barrymore is basically like the the kind of like the 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 rock essentially from which the performance like 
sort of stands on, but mm. uh, it is a good, and it's nice to see it, uh, like a, a person going through cancer being like, oh, the perfect person when you yeah. know, she she does. She fucks it up. Yeah, she, she fucks yeah. And the yeah. guy from American Rejects as well. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I kept thinking, what the fuck is he doing in here? Seriously, you're going to get the guy from... I, yeah, it was it was nice to see that portrayal of someone going through cancer where they're not just, you're so strong and you're so brave and you're such a hero. It was like... You're such a dick. <laughs> she is, she, she's being a dick. Just because she's got cancer doesn't mean you can't tell she's being a fucking dick. And that's... I think that was kind of something that helped it maybe stand apart from kind of the other bullshit that's just meant to make you cry. Mm. Marley and me looking at you. So yeah, it was it's it's average but I don't why would you want to go to pictures and cry? I don't understand. Why do you want to make so, sometimes cry? it's a joyous thing to cry. Well I kinda of felt the ending was like a little bit it wasn't like totally depressing the end and it was a little bit positive. And and I know it, it like it's that emotional manipulation, especially when she's like, Oh, I'm pregnant again and everything's wonderful and the sun's out you know what I mean? But Yeah. It's okay. It is what it is. I, I definitely Not heard good. sniffles when I was in a cinema. I definitely heard, <laughs> I definitely heard people sort of go through it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, you big soft asses. They're just trying to justify taking tissues in with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I was going to make an inappropriate joke then, but fuck no. <laughs> I'll let Dave do that. You've got to now. No, 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 no. I would be sent to hell. <laughs> the stuff that's going through my mind now. <laughs> This is why I had to cut that on a black woman joke, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But the thing is, right, they've, they've probably got different editorial standards on this show than us. <laughs> so I could probably say it here and it might get through. <laughs> you, you've oh. got to now, you never know. I, Try your luck. Oh, oh, oh. Rebecca was mortified. It, 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 it has more legend status like now, if you don't say it. Not. By not knowing what yeah, I said, because like you know, yeah. if we get famous, then people, put it this way: people Chris... stop us on the streets. Like, what? What was the only Blackman joke of like? Ah, uh... <laughs> Chris. Chris laughed for about five minutes straight, <laughs> hard and audibly, and Becca just. I I think she had her mouth wide open because she just went. <gasps> <laughs> I sort of laughed and was like immediately mortified. I was like, you can't say that. Oh god. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> but in the final edit, it's stitched together so well. I sound so respectful of it. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Carry on. Well, now that all the reviews are done, it's time to move on to Dead Meat, where we talk about Dead horror. Meat. Dead the... Meat, Dead Meat, Dead Meat. Oh, that was it, um, yeah. And this week, oh, right, I can't believe I did this to myself. A couple of weeks ago, on the blog, I wrote a post about how child's play traumatised me. And if you didn't read it, I will recap for you. Basically, when I was about five or six, and I didn't have many friends, and I lived in a really rough part of the city, my mum used to take me over the road to this girl's house so I could play with her. And she was a horrible bitch, and she was bigger than me, and she outweighed me, and I don't know why I kept going over to her house. But one day, she said, let's watch this movie. And the movie was Child's Play, and she barricaded the door, and I cried my eyes out hysterically until my mum came to rescue me about an hour later. And obviously, being a five-year-old girl, I had a bedroom full of dolls, which I was convinced were going to murder me. And what I didn't put in the blog is that I was also a bit of a freak as a child, and I used to, at this age, read the papers in my grandparents every week. They would save the paper for me. And a couple of months after this happened, the James Bulger case happened, and if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to go into it here. And I don't even, don't even Google it. It's, it's horrific. It's just something that happened in the city, not far from where I currently live now. <clears throat> so I couldn't... My parents kept taking the papers off me. But they found in one of the suspects' room a copy of Child's Play 3. And this was the early 90s, so the whole video nasty thing wasn't really too far behind us. So for every so often, on the front of the paper, there would be a picture of Chucky. And it was like I could not escape the bastard. It also didn't help that I then had to tell my younger brother, who was three, all about Chucky, to spread the fear around. And even as I got into horror, as I was a bit older, Child's Play was something I never wanted to watch, ever. And then I opened my big mouth on the summer special and said I would watch it to see if it was as bad as I thought it was. So I watched it last night. And... I have to say, it did make me feel uncomfortable because as I was watching it, 
I kind of thought, I remember this bit, and I remember this bit, and I remember this bit. The story itself is it's not scary if you're a grown-up, is it? I mean, it's a, it's a killer voodoo doll. It's, and if you can't, like, take out a doll that's, like, two foot high, I mean, you really deserve to die, if I'm being honest with you. But he does seem to have a but massive there punch. Was... I mean, he does punch, like, like it, it, it doesn't hit, like, some woman on the head with, like, a toy hammer, and she flies out the window. That is correct. It is just so... <laughs> Because he's so small, he's so like sneaky and tricksy. Like he can get in places that I wouldn't think to look. Do you know what I mean? It's sneaky. It did. It did make me feel really uncomfortable. And my brother walked in the room last night, and I was I was kind of sitting there with like my hand over my eyes, pretending I was looking at my phone. And he was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" I was like, "I just I know it's gonna move in a minute. I know it's gonna move in a minute." And it it's kind of like I wouldn't say like over the past couple of years it's been something that I thought oh my god I'm shit scared of child's play but it's just something that I would like no I don't want to watch it I don't need to watch it I've seen Bride of Chucky I've seen Seed of Chucky and I saw Cares Chucky the other week but this kind of film just held some sort of it's been in like a the back of the cupboard in the back of my mind you know what I mean peeking out at me sometimes and it sounds it sounds daft as a 28 year old woman to say I'm scared of Chucky but it's just it's just something about it that's well, just I think always a lot of people been have that common concept i mean i i have a friend now and it's, it's if i show him a picture of well he doesn't like recall on fear but if i if i go oh do you want to watch charles play like no i don't want to watch any of that and i think it has to do with what happened with that incident there is like there was some connection with with that film i mean i'm not blaming the film in any way but it is kind of now tainted with that so was you being uncomfortable was that something to do with that? Can, in that, can you back up in memory, or was it just the film itself was uncomfortable? Like in terms I of, think... say, say if, if you with no ties to what happened with that incident. I don't know. I think, I think perhaps it does because when when that the the James Bulger thing happened, I I knew about it anyway. Even though my parents tried to shield me from it because everybody was talking about it, and it's kind mm. of one of those incidents. It's in some ways there's two things that have happened in recent memory that have scarred my city that's Hillsborough and and the James Bulger murders so everyone was talking about it and you kind of just filtered down and I kind of knew bits what has happened and I still don't know the full story now and I have no intention of ever finding out the the full story because I don't want to but my family were very like my mum was very protective anyway and she was all like I go to that shopping centre and I could have been there with Thomas because my brother was about the same age as as James Bulger was, so and my mum kept talking about it and talking about it, kind of just to, I think in some ways, because she was so like felt like she had some sort of near miss or something, so she kept talking about it, and then it was it was on the papers quite a lot, and I think I do remember it perhaps being mentioned on like the news once or twice that, and I know there was protests around the film and things, and mm. I think. I, it got I think banned, maybe. I think Charles Play Three ends up getting banned. Yeah, I to be honest, I think it just makes the pill that like like, like pointing like fingers at like Charles Play Three or 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 that franchise is kind of it kind of softens. I think kind of a way of softening the blow for for everyone because definitely because like you know I, I mean we'll actually talk about Charles Play, but I I think what uh, the James Bolger incident proved just is just how potentially evil even children can be, you know, and that that is a yeah. tough thing. To, so I think to say, oh no, it's yeah. the these films just makes that it passes the blame it, on somewhat, and it kind yeah, of makes exactly. that. But the that but that is that is the truth. That is, that is what happened. It's just how this is how it can get, you know. I know. Um, it's, um, I know there was there was a lot of. Um... They changed the laws originally to try the the two suspects, shall mm. we say, who were who were convicted of of the murder, and it it was it was it was totally shocking. And even now, when I the law change was around criminal responsibility because at once upon a time, you were deemed not capable of committing a crime until you were fourteen years of age, and obviously they were eleven. Yeah, they were they were very young, and I mean, and, and not just that they they what well, they it, they they did. But it's how they did it. And I mean, the way there's been a couple of details now that I've picked up over the years that I really wish I didn't know. And it does, it makes you think, how the hell can two, two children be capable of doing this? So you do look for, you know, there's all these, you know, Grand Theft Auto made my son into a murderer and it's still happening now. Mm. But I, I do think it may have had something to do with the fact that 
there was the whole Mary Whitehouse thing and the band this sick filth headlines in the 80s around the whole video nasty things and I think that kind of maybe filtered through a little bit and like you said it's just looking for someone to blame I don't particularly remember anyone talking too much about like the, the grown-ups talking about child's play it was more like the talk was well his nan used to live at the end of our street and so because everyone seems to have a story about how they were connected to what happened and that kind of thing mm. but it was just I, I think the fact that I did I had an overactive imagination as a child anyway and I, I remember not sleeping very well for a couple of weeks and even to the point when I got a little bit older, my mum would buy me Goosebumps book and, and I wouldn't want to read them. I used to throw them away because I was kind it's of funny. still... It's funny, you watch the Goosebumps like, TV show and it's and it's like, like shockingly unscary. <laughs> yeah, but it was it's just been kind of one of those things that's always stayed with me. And it, like I said, it could have something to do with the fact that I was so young and the fact that the, the James Bulger thing happened and this was kind of getting a lot of press and it kind of all just melded together in my mind. But... I'm also shit scared of clowns, so I wouldn't watch it either. And a fucking clowns freak me the fuck out if I, I, I can't deal with clowns. They but I think all flow down here. Uh, I can't. I just I can't. I can't Sorry. deal with them. I, it just, it just, See, it's Chris, don't happen. you think Octopussy would just sort a right out? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you, you're not going to be scared of Roger Moore dressed as a fucking clown. Are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, you know, because I, I've actually, now that you've mentioned it, I remember seeing Octopussy with him in the clown suit. I don't, I don't, it just, I just, I can't, I can't. I had, like, quite a few stupid childish fears besides clowns and Chucky. I was scared of Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman <laughs> in Batman Returns. Oh, I'm glad you meant as <laughs> but, something, not just generally scared. No, <laughs> and I was convinced that when I got up to use the bathroom of the night, that she could hear me. If I flush the chain and she would come get me on a broomstick, why Catwoman was on a broomstick after me, I'll never, I don't know. But in my mind, this made sense. Well, and you, it, find, you find her on a broomstick, the I, I, bit, I, not the listening to I you. I think this. no, no, that that made perfect sense to me because she was after me. And in the I, I, I think the reason why she's on a broom so she actually because because your 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 mind probably thought this out, but like okay, she she'll hear me, but. So if she's gonna like, how long will it take her to actually get from like wherever she is to my? So it makes sense she had a broomstick because then she can fly Obviously. over, so it'll be there quicker and it'll be terrifying me a lot more. Exactly. That's what I think the process is. And in my grandparents, Halle Berry house... came along and terrified us in completely different ways. Yeah. Oh <laughs> in um, yeah, in my grandparents' flat, um, when you looked out through like the little spy hole when they were painting the door, someone had kind of flicked up just a little bit of paint over the glass, and I was convinced that it was the tip of Catwoman's ear. And if I looked long enough, she'd poke her head up and get me. Terrifying. <laughs> I was also scared of the worm in Labyrinth that invites um, Sarah into the wall for a cup of tea to the point where I, if it came on, I used to run upstairs screaming because I'd be like, why? Why does he think she can go in the wall? Like, that used to freak me out too. So I was a weird kid. <laughs> I was a really I, weird I, I, kid. I, I remember being terrified when I was very, very young of He-Man transforming. I used to be scared of Texas Pete and Super Tempo. Was it, was it the speed he picked up a suntan at? No, it was like, you know, when he transformed into E-Man from, like, from, from Adam yeah, to E-Man. Yeah, which just basically meant him going a shade darker. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I was just, like, I used to, like, sort of hide away. And then once he was E-Man, I was fine. And I, had, I had the same <laughs> thing with uh, Mumra and Thundercats. Whenever he transformed into Mumra, I was like, oh, my God, it's good. And then, then, then I can... Then, then once he... Was fully transformed. It's like okay, I, I don't know. That that that's my weird. That is my one weird thing. I got scared of, but I was very young. That's that's the point. Like the earliest thing I can remember. So there you are. I'm kind of I'm I'm not glad I watched it because you know I could have happily lived my life and never seen mm. it. But... I don't I don't I don't know. I think it's actually for the time. It was a good. It was a good like sort of horror movie with the you know the cliche of making a creepy toy. You know, it, it's it. The first film, I mean, they all got cartoony uh, as mm. they go on, but the first film is actually quite strangely dark and gritty. It is. It's oh, when its face starts moving. When like it actually, it it goes on the oh. same journey as the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah, in, oh. in that in that Freddy becomes more kind cartoon of character. Yeah, yeah, more comedic yeah. as it goes along. Chucky does too. Yeah, not so much in the first film. He tried to like kind of rectify that in Curse of Chucky. Which was wasn't wasn't half bad really. Um, 
But I don't. It was like little things that like freaked me out when I was watching it last night. Like when he's the doll and his his jaws just moving up and down as he's talking. Like he's going, "I'm Chucky, your friend to the end." But when he like turns into like the serial killer, it's all face moves and stuff. And I was like, "Oh no, no, not watching this! How did he do that?" It was just. I I I I shared a meme the um the other the other time um when was it it was it was only like yesterday I think or the or day before it was on Facebook and I and I and I, and I clicked uh, share it because it made me laugh but it was, I had a, a thing on the um, had the, the characters from Toy Story like in the background looking on a fear and there's Chucky with a big knife saying right where's Andy awesome, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't see that. <laughs> Go on so, profiles there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, do you know what? I'm actually on Facebook now. I'll probably regret doing this. Like you see Toy Story. Because in cause it isn't the kid Andy as well in in um, in in, in, Charles uh, Play, in Charles Play. Yeah, it's Andy Barkley. Oh no! Fuck that shit. Oh um, no! no. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's. I relive childhood trauma. It's gonna haunt your nightmares. Haunt your dreams. Uh, do you know? I just. No, I just can't. I can't. Like, I, I just, I consider myself to be, you know, a fairly together person, but not when it comes to shit like that. I'd rather fight hordes of zombies or Freddy Krueger than fucking Chucky, because he always finds a way. Or leprechaun. Or fucking leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too arsed about leprechauns. You know, I just get him into a rap battle or something, and um. You'll just you'll forget about Oh, him. a friend of weed is a friend indeed. I was going to tweet you that the other day. <laughs> oh, next time we should just watch all of Leprechaun, Chris, and just talk about that. <laughs> well, it's on Netflix. I was tempted to watch Leprechaun 2 and shit, but no. Uh, honestly, oh, I decided to go straight to the Hood films. Leprechaun in space is where it gets really shit-tastic. Yeah, but it's got the guy from uh, Hello Alone. He turns into Gross Spider. And like, no, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> not having it no, no no right so that's that's all for this week's I've nearly called it something else then Black Hole Cinema I don't know what I nearly called it so I'd like to say thank you to our guests Becca, Chris and Dave thanks for having us on thank you and Dave thank you very much for your plethora of just jokes Dave <laughs> <laughs> so brings the tone down as normal <laughs> well you know I think that's that's exactly what this podcast needed Becca's relieved because you failed to control me tonight. Well, to be fair, I wasn't even trying. I just I let it run wild. But that's how it goes when I'm. If you listen to our podcast, there's only so much you can do with editing because you, you, you do hear a lot from Becca. That's me, Cass. Just through the show every now and again. And actually, well, I've got our show these two. I don't know. It's, it's do not it. a comedy show. We do sit and talk fairly seriously about these films, but we tangent all over the place, and somehow we seem to go on to some very weird topics. Usually bomb related, but yeah, usually bomb related. Yeah. Yeah. We stay on topic, but yeah. I mean, even the hand job joke is relevant. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's related to. It's related you to. Know, I, yeah, I mean, like, should, should, should we mention the hand job joke? Because it isn't. It, it will be in the podcast. You carry on. Yeah, we didn't cut that one out. You carry on. It wasn't really a joke. We were just talking about it, but carry on. No, yeah, no, no, no. So they say we cut it out because it's in the podcast. It's done. I'm not not re-editing it. (laughs) If you would like to take this opportunity to tell everyone where we can follow you on Twitter and all that. Oh, yes. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, you can follow me at uh, Cinematronics on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, you can find the the podcast that um, I do, um, which is Cinematronics Podcast. And do you expect us to talk? Which is all on uh, cinematronics.co.uk, where you can find both on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, all your other podcast needs. Uh, I've I've dropped the feeds in in the posts now, so you can just literally just use that to manually... You know, drop it in wherever you desire. I'm at the Pasty Kid 1976, and are uh, and he's not uh, even a pasty or a kid. So the what? He's neither a pasty or a kid. Or the definite article. No. <laughs> Nor am I the year 1976. It's false advertising. Yeah. In any <laughs> but yeah, and the the podcast is at Twitter. We're at Twitter, we're at Expect Us to Talk. <laughs> And at Facebook, we're facebook.com forward slash expect us to talk. Uh, you can find me at r underscore view movies 
Um, and if you want to email us at the Expected to Talk podcast, it's expected to talk at gmail.com. So you can always drop us a line there. Yeah, like listen to the show first, though, otherwise you're just fucking guessing, aren't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Hello. Hello, who are you? <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Crushin82. Uh, my name does come up as Dame Judy Hench, but it is me. I just tweet bullshit 24 hours a day, mostly about wrestling. So if you want to come tweet me some bullshit about wrestling, feel free to give me a follow. You can follow us on Twitter at Black Hole Cinema, and we are now on Acast as well. That's where you'll find all our podcasts, including the new Pick a Film, where we get suggestions to different people of a film we have to watch, and then we talk all about it. The new one, the first one went up today, and it's myself and Tony Black talking about A Taste of Honey. So if you're not sick of my voice already, you can go listen to that. like to thank our guests again. It's been lovely having some new people on the show. And good night to everyone else. Bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.